you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in. Turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 9, Episode 21. I'm your host, Otis Gyrie, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Christo Healy, about villainous vocations, phantasmic photographs, deadly discoveries, and ghoulish gifts. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the tear, visit simplyscurrypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail, so lock your door. Turn your lights down low and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our stories this evening are chilling in more ways than one, with each having a touch of winter about them. In our first, from Christo Ely, a lonely fellow finds an opportunity to escape the drudgery of the work and sleep lifestyle he's grown accustomed to. Thing is, who's providing it, and what exactly will it cost him in the long run? Without further ado, I present to you Seasonal Help. Trevor walked in his front door with a sigh. He shut the door like it weighed a ton and put the chain lock in place. In truth, it was life that weighed on him, exhausted him so. Working retail during the holiday season felt like cruel torture they should designate for criminals who did terrible things to earn their fate. Customers certainly treated him like he was a criminal. They screamed and pushed and pointed, demanding and complaining in equal measures. If there was anything to get people out of the Christmas spirit, 
It was a grocery store in December. Travers shuddered just thinking about it. He crossed the living room to fetch a cold one and passed by the Christmas tree on his way to the kitchen. He scoffed at it and kept going. He hadn't put a tree up in as long as he could remember, but he did it this year to be more festive, to remind himself of the good of the holiday season. As he popped open his beer, he thought about what a joke that was, a constant reminder of how he was alone and had no one to share the holidays with, no one to put presents under the tree for. It was not the fast track to happiness. It was stupid. Often, Trevor wondered what he did to earn this life. He was generally a pretty good guy. He wasn't a saint by any means. His childhood was full of trouble, but it was also 30 years in the past. For many years now, too many years, Trevor had just worked, paid bills, shopped for his meager groceries, and went on with life. He tried to use the Internet to meet people. That seemed to be how everyone did it these days and he didn't believe he could mingle with a stranger at this point. It was a small town as it was. He could imagine going to a bar and walking up to someone, only to realize that they were the person who demanded a can of cranberry sauce from the bottom case of the stack, even though all the cans in the 24 can cases stacked 12 high above it were precisely the damn same. He'd end up just throwing his drink on them, walking away. Using the internet allowed him to meet someone from a different town, close enough to be a short drive but far enough to not shop at his store. Not that it made a difference. He'd chat with people in hopes of meeting in person, but most times it never even got that far. He just wasn't interesting enough. He didn't have much to say. He worked, came home, binged Netflix, and did his best to make sure his cat didn't starve and the litter box didn't stink. That was about the extent of it. He looked over at the cat dish on the nearby table and sighed again. Groaning at his sore back, Trevor went to the cabinet and retrieved a can of wet food. His cat, Big Head Todd, who he hadn't seen since he got home, appeared out of nowhere. Todd was sitting next to the empty dish like he'd been there the whole time. Trevor shook his head and rubbed at his tired eyes. I'll never know how you do that, and I'll never know where the hell you go all the time. Todd gave him a look that, to him, said, None of your business. Just feed me and go on. Even the cat has no respect for me, he thought. I don't suppose you got me a Christmas present. The cat gave him another awkward glance, and then hopped down from the table and trotted away. Trevor exhaled, his shoulders slumping. Yeah, that's what I thought. He did get Todd a few presents. They were already in his stocking, hanging from the doorway, because his salary wasn't enough for an apartment with a fireplace. He didn't honestly believe that Todd deserved Christmas presents, unless there was a kitty equivalent to coal. But he didn't have anyone else to get anything for. He tried to continue exchanging gifts with his parents, but they yelled at him and told him to grow up and get married like everyone else, as if it were just so simple. Trevor grabbed two more beers out of the fridge and took them into the living room with him. It was binge o'clock, after all. He kicked off his shoes and winced at how badly his feet hurt. His feet and knees were always throbbing after a long shift on those terrible floors at the store. He'd feel like he was getting a vacation if he managed only to work an eight-hour shift. During the holiday season, eight-hour shifts were a thing of the past. He worked a minimum of 12 hours, sometimes as much as 17 or 18. Those were the days that he worried Todd would kill him in his sleep. He left a bowl of dry food out for the cat, but Todd was far too good for that. Trevor wrapped himself in a blanket, turned the TV on, and started scrolling through the options looking for something to watch. Sometimes, he was so desperate for something to shake things up that he spent all night scrolling through and never actually watched anything. He'd fall asleep with the remote still in his hand. Living alone, his bed was all but unused. He would crash on his couch almost every day. 
He didn't want to scroll forever today, so he just picked something at random. It was a TV show about a girl haunted by the owner of the heart she received in a transplant. It sounded cool. Driver enjoyed a good horror story, though it rarely affected him, like it did most people. He felt that real life was far more terrifying than fiction. He was far more frightened by the idea of working a 17-hour day uh, before Thanksgiving, knowing he was going to be abused the whole time, than he was afraid of a chainsaw-wielding maniac in the middle of nowhere. That family was running a business, and they were feeding customers to their customers. At this point in his life, Trevor thought, I get it. The show was pretty good. The beer wasn't, but it was cold at least. There is a shortage in the string of lights in his pitiful, lonely Christmas tree, and it kept going off and coming back on. It was struggling to get through, just like the guy who wired it. Moaning with effort, Trevor got to his feet, walked over, and unplugged it. I hope if I'm unable to take care of myself, someone unplugs me too, he thought. I don't have a wife or kids to hold on to. I'm not going to be like... But I have to get back to the grocery store and make sure that bitch in the sundress gets the right alkaline water. When he got back to the couch, Trevor paused the show. He grabbed his phone, plugged it into the charger so he didn't die, and checked on his profile to see if he had had any messages. He tried to put a nice photo on her, get his smile from his best angle, and fill the page with witty anecdotes someone might find interesting and amusing. It didn't seem to be working. His inbox was empty. Driver gave one of his usual sighs, punctuated with a deep frown. He started searching people's profiles, trying to see if there was anyone on right now worth talking to. He didn't care if they were 300 miles away. He was just tired of feeling so alone. He tried to start several different conversations, but no one seemed to want a bite. He can't hate me yet, he thought. And you don't even know how boring I am yet. Can you please find out first, then run away like you're supposed to? After a while, Trevor got fed up and tossed his phone onto the floor. Todd had been down there and yelled at him for throwing things without looking. Then the cat ran away to sleep on the giant bed that it had taken ownership of. Sometimes, on days like this, going on felt tough. He had to somehow wake up in the morning after this day and get up to do it all over again. For what? For the future, he told himself. For hope. He was jaded and miserable, but not hopeless. Sometimes good things came along when you weren't looking. At least that's what people told him all the time. And he chose to believe it, because what else was there? One day, something good was just going to show up at his door and he needed to be around to take advantage of the opportunity. As if on cue, there was a knock on his door. Trevor's eyes widened. He choked on a sip of his beer and cough, wiping at his mouth with the back of his hand. You gotta be kidding me, he said quietly. With another of uh, his patterned groans, Trevor pushed his aching body up off the couch. The knock on the door sounded again. He almost yelled at them to chill out and hang on a sec, but he didn't know who was on the other side, and he didn't want to give the wrong first impression to his future life partner. When he reached the door, Trevor kept the chain in place, but opened the door a few inches so he could look through who was knocking. A short, well-kept man stood in the hall with a decent suit, eyeglasses, and too much gel in his hair. Trevor's confusion only deepened. Precisely, the man said with a beaming grin echoing in his eyes. Trevor blinked and shook his head. If this was some kind of game or prank, he was way too tired to deal with it. I'm sorry, who are you? The man's smile widened and he added a wave. I'm someone that has come a long way to offer you a job, Mr. Novak. I'm about to change your life and give you purpose give a few minutes of your time to entertain me. The guy sounded crazy, and there was a good possibility that he was, but what did Trevor have to lose if things went south? The guy mentioned a job, and 
There was nothing Trevor hated more in this world than this one. Besides, Trevor sized the guy up as soon as he opened the door. Some parts of his younger self never left, and he always stayed on guard. He was pretty sure that if push came to literal shove, he could take this guy pretty easily, though it wouldn't do any good for his already sore back. He took a deep breath, unlatched the chain, and stepped back, allowing the man to enter. The stranger stepped into his home and clapped his hands together happily. Fantastic, he said. Oh, now look at this. As Trevor closed the door and latched the chain again, in case the man planned to rob him and run, the newcomer made his way over to the Christmas tree, eyeing it with fascination. You put up a tree this year and put lights on it and everything. Now that is commendable, Trevor. Good on you. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Trevor tensed. It was one thing for the man to know his name. It wasn't too hard to figure something like that out. But to know he didn't usually have a Christmas tree up inside his apartment that no one ever went into but him, that was another thing entirely. Staying where he was and watching this stranger intently, he said, Who did you say you were again? The man snapped his fingers and pointed towards Trevor, his smile returning. I never did, actually. I always wait until I'm inside for that, or the door could get shut in my face and drastically complicate things. Trust me, Trevor, I've learned this the hard way. Trevor aside, he was growing frustrated. Well, you're in, so tell me who the hell you are. The stranger looked as if he'd been slapped. Oh, my, he said as he adjusted his glasses. Yes, well, then, my name is Wiggums. I'm a workshop officer for the man at the tippy-top. Before you go getting an even hotter head, Mr. Novak, it would be easier understood that I am one of Santa's helpers. Trevor actually smacked himself in the head. He couldn't believe he had just let this man into his home. He sighed and rubbed some of the stress from his face and eyes. They're mad. What do you want? I assure you I'm not, the man said, as he wandered into the kitchen. Do you have any hot cocoa? I'd love a cup. I'm surprised you don't already know the answer, Trevor said, following him, but keeping his distance. You knew about my tree. The man gave a happy little chuckle and shook an index finger at him. You're correct, he said, opening the cabinet next to the refrigerator and grabbing a cylindrical container of powdered cocoa. I was merely trying to be polite and not overwhelm you. I tend not to help myself to people's cocoa if they don't offer it. He held the container up. Do you mind? Trevor found himself more curious than afraid of this strange man. Part of him wanted to toss the guy out in his ass, but another part of him reminded him that this was the most exciting thing to happen to him in a very long time. It was a story he could share at the store tomorrow and maybe help some of his co-workers to find a smile as well. Help yourself, he said. It's probably expired, though. I never drink it. Correct again, the man said, looking his way with a big toothy smile. It doesn't bother me, though. There are no mealworms. That's good enough for me. Half those dates are for show. <laughs> Tell me about it, Trevor said in a huff thinking about the terror that was his job. Yes, right, I, I suppose you would know. 
The man said as he filled a mug with water from the tap and stuck it in the microwave, setting the timer for two minutes. But what if that terrible job was merely preparing you for your true purpose? And what would that be? Trevor asked, fighting back his own grin. The man watched the mug and the microwave intently for a few seconds before answering. He seemed anxious to get that cocoa. His fingers drummed on the top of the appliance. Then he stopped, rubbed his palms together, and turned to face Trevor. You, my friend, can be the brand-new quality assurance officer at the North Pole. Trevor couldn't contain his laugh this time, and he practically spit it out. <laughs> Santa's looking for his seasonal help, huh? Does he provide health insurance? Trevor chuckled to himself as he decided to take the risk and venture closer. He opened the fridge and grabbed himself a beer. Twisting the cap off, he leaned against the doorway. Your health is insured, Wiggins told him. Oh, he said excitedly, when the microwave beeped. He opened the door and took out his mug, filling the hot water with powdered cocoa. Trevor watched as the man knew exactly where his spoons were, taking one as if he lived there to stir his cocoa. More importantly, he would help ensure Christmas and assure that it runs smoothly and all those waiting children receive safe, functioning toys. It's a critical job, Trevor. Uh, may I call you Trevor? Or, if you prefer, Mr. Novak? Trevor smirked. He was glad he wasn't sipping his beer, or he may have to spit it everywhere. <laughs> Trevor's fine. So you randomly came to my home to offer me a job as a Christmas elf, he said, barely containing his laughter. The man stopped stirring his cocoa and looked up at Trevor, losing his smile for the first time. Elves aren't immortal, you know. They pass like everyone and need to be replaced to maintain order. My job is to locate and hire their replacements, and I assure you, Trevor, your selection was far from random. Trevor took a deep breath and raised his hands. Okay, I'll bite. Why me? How did I get selected for this essential job? Wiggins nodded. He took his cup of cocoa and walked past Trevor into the living room, gesturing toward the couch. Do you mind? Trevor looked at him with surprise, but he shook his head. Wiggins nodded in return, sitting down and sighing happily before sipping at his cocoa. When he looked back at Trevor, he said, Well, we keep the naughty file list for this reason. We follow them. I'm sure you know that you spent a good deal of your childhood on that list. Trevor's eyes widened. He left the doorway and crossed into the living room. Was this guy serious? Wiggins continued. We watch for those candidates that go on to have lives like yours. What kind of life is that? Trevor wasn't smiling anymore. He was ready for this prank to be over. He had to sleep before another long day of work. A lonely one, Wiggins said, sipping his cocoa. We look for someone who can walk away from their lives and not have to feel guilty for leaving a family behind. Someone who won't be missed and cried over. Trevor felt suddenly angry. He set his beer down on the end table next to the couch and stared at the man, happily sipping cocoa like a child. Who are you? Who put you up to this? I assure you that I'm exactly who I say I am, and trust me, Todd will get on just fine without you. You're a convenience for him, not a necessity. Trevor's anger didn't diminish, but he felt that part about the cat was probably true. All right, then. Show me some kind of proof that you are who you say you are. The light-up power sword, Wiggins said without looking up. He continued to enjoy his hot beverage. Trevor squatted before his couch so his glare could meet the man's eyes. He'd asked for a light-up power sword that he saw at the store, put it in his letter to Santa they made him write at the juvenile detention center, and then received nothing, essentially seeing it as proof that Santa didn't exist or didn't care. Tell me who you are, Trevor demanded. I'm not going to ask you again. 
How do you know the things you know about me? I've already told you that, Wiggins said, placing his now empty mug down next to Trevor's beer on the end table. Thank you for the cocoa. It was delightful. He got to his feet, walked to the front door, and undid the chain. Driver stood as well, watching him. Wiggins opened the door, looked down at Todd, and said, He's not coming back here. The cat looked up at him, like he somehow comprehended what the man said. Then he strolled past him, out the open door. Trevor felt like he'd been punched in the heart. The cat was all that he had in this world. You have some nerve, he growled. I can't believe you just let my cat out. You said I'm not coming back. You're planning to kill me? Because it won't be so easy. Simmer down, Wiggins said in his usual friendly grin. The workers at the North Pole don't just work during the Christmas season. They have to work all year to keep things going smoothly. It's a full-time position. You would essentially have to give your life up here and move to the North Pole. Well... Shouldn't you find out if I want to do that before you release my cat? Trevor was not simmering down, not in the least. I want you to get out of here, now. No, you don't, said Wiggins. You're angry at yourself, at life, at years of loneliness, and a world that left you with nothing to abandon. You're just projecting that anger at me. In the end, you'll come with me. They always do. Trevor snarled like an animal. And how would we get there? Christmas magic? Reindeer? A flying sleigh? Wiggins smiled. He stepped away from the door closer to Trevor. Christmas magic is the correct answer. He pulled a plastic-wrapped candy cane from inside of his pocket of his suit jacket and extended it outwards toward Trevor. All you have to do is eat this. It's wrapped, so you know it's not poison or anything silly like that. Take one bite, and you'll be right where you need to be. Trevor snatched the candy from the man's hand. Of course, he didn't believe it was magic, but he also didn't think it was poison. This was some kind of big joke, and he wanted to get it to the end of it. He wanted to look for Todd and hopefully get home in time to get some sleep before getting up for work. He unwrapped the candy cane while staring furiously at the man, grinning back at him. Then he chomped down, taking a big bite out of the top of the curved candy cane. And suddenly, Trevor found himself somewhere else. He was in what looked like to be a warehouse. He was seated at a table with what had to be hundreds of other people, all looking exhausted, sickly, and miserable, their mouths sealed shut tightly. The center of the table was a conveyor belt, sending toys between people at the table. Trevor felt real fear for the first time since Wiggins arrived at his door. He saw the man standing next to him, still wearing his obnoxious smile. There was a clanging sound, and Trevor looked down to find his wrists wrapped in shackles that came from chains that ran to the floor. Trevor tried to demand to know what was happening, but his mouth wouldn't open. He looked at Wiggins with wild eyes. Wiggins, on the other hand, never lost a smile. Trevor flinched and realized that someone had just put an IV into his hand. What in the name of God was happening? I'll be back shortly to administer the feeding tube, the nurse said. Delightful, Wiggins said back. Then he clapped his hands and looked at Trevor. The IV in the feeding tube will keep you nourished and healthy for a long time. And when they're no longer enough, you'll be replaced by someone else just like you. You'd be surprised by just how many there are, Mr. Novak. I know it's a lot to digest at the moment, but I need you to pay attention. You need to use your hands to check the toys that go past for mistakes and dangers. The chief toy officer will explain in greater detail. You must do your job or you will face terrible consequences, none of which will be death. You will not be allowed out of your contract you agreed to by biting the candy cane. Pain and suffering are an option. Death isn't. It will do you well to keep that in mind. The frighteningly thin, unshaven older man across from Trevor 
looked at him with fearful eyes and shook his head before he grabbed an action figure that came down the belt before him. Trevor realized that the man couldn't talk any more than he could. None of them could be imaginary, and this guy was trying to warn him that it wasn't worth it not to comply. Trevor felt tears fill his eyes and spill over his lower lids to careen down his cheeks. Now, now, Wiggins said, patting his shoulder. You're doing a good thing, Trevor. I mean, there's a reason we select from the naughty list, as I'm sure you now understand, but consider all the smiles you'll bring to those millions of children on the good list. That's your payment and reward for the lifetime of service you must now give. Welcome to your glorious purpose. Wiggins left then. Trevor watched him walking away, and he jumped up, realizing that his legs were attached to the legs of the chair. The whole chair moved, but it seemed to be bolted down. Trevor tried to scream, but there was no sound. It was just fear that raged in his silence and his own mind. Around him, the others looked at him with wide, fearful eyes and shook their heads. They all tried frantically to grab the passing toys with nervous fingers as if he were going to get them all in trouble. Trevor's body trembled as he began to weep. Then a man walked over to him, holding a clipboard. Greetings, newbie, he said. I'm the chief toy officer. Pay attention because I'm about to show you what you're looking for. And I don't like to repeat myself. This job is all there is for you now. So you want to do it right. There's nothing else but the job. The job and the consequences of not doing it. Welcome to Santa's workshop, elf. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed Seasonal Help by author Crystal Healy, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Healy. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash H-E-A-L-Y. His short horror has graced a number of works, including Dead Lucky, Tales from the World of Adrian's Undead Diary, Book 7, Madame Gray's Creep Show, and many more. If you do decide to stop by, please leave Crystal a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis Jiry sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Oh dear, poor Trevor. But I guess taking candy from a stranger isn't just something kids shouldn't do. But hey, at least we know all those Tickle Me Almost will ship on time. Speaking of gifts, sometimes we've received gifts from people because they care about us and want to bring a little joy in our lives. 
Some gifts, though, are not always sent with the best of intentions. Take our friend Donald, the subject of our second story from Christo Healy. He's about to receive a very special gift that might bring more joy to the sender than the recipient. Without further ado, I present to you the Christmas gift. Donald opened the front door looking for who rang. There was no one on the porch of the big house or the walkway below. He looked around, eyes scanning the street, but he saw no one. Maybe some teenagers were playing their pranks, but Christmas seemed a strange time of year for those stunts. Had it been All Hallows' Eve, it would have made more sense to him. Then he looked down. Donald eyed the gift box with curiosity. It sat there before his feet, perfectly wrapped and full of mystery. Whoever delivered the present had not wanted to hang around for the thank you, and it was a peculiar behavior. He wasn't someone that would need a gift or charity. He was still living off of his father's money, which was his grandfather's money. Donald hadn't worked a day in his life. He had no reason to. And if he cared enough to marry and procreate, his child wouldn't need to either. It was due to the everlasting boredom of being independently wealthy that Donald found his hobby. Like most affairs of the rich, his hobby was a secret. And now that he was staring at this strange gift box, he couldn't help but wonder if... Maybe it wasn't any longer. He stepped around the box and down the first few steps of the porch where he stood and scanned the yard, the bushes and the trees. His eyes combed the possible hiding places and came up empty. Donald shook his head at this. Whoever dropped off the present must have rung the doorbell and run as the devil had chased them. Turning back around, Donald bent over and scooped up the present. Then he carried it with him back into the big house. He closed and locked the door behind him. Donald didn't keep servants like so many others of his status. Servants were extra eyes and ears. They were loose ends and incriminating. Chances he didn't dare take. He didn't have a job. There was no reason he couldn't clean up after himself. That was part of the fun anyway. Donald walked through the silent house. He placed the package on the table for the time being. Before he could bring himself to walk away from it, he had to check the attached tag. Of course, it didn't list a name, and he hadn't been foolish enough to expect otherwise. All it said was, I know who you are. That's a strange thing to say to one of the only millionaires in a small town. Of course, they knew who he was. Literally everyone knew who he was. He was everywhere. He owned most of the town, or his father did at least. He'd never encountered a single soul that didn't know who he was. It made his hobby that much more enjoyable. Donald didn't open the present, though, not yet. He wanted to do it right, to savor the moment. He wanted to enjoy this. He knew without needing to be told that the gift was not an act of kindness. He thought about this as he ventured into the sitting room and stoked a fire in the fireplace. Then he went and fetched himself a fine glass and an even finer bottle of Merlot. He carried them into the sitting room and placed them on the end table next to his favorite chair nestled in the warmth and glow of the hearth. He went and retrieved his corncob pipe and a bag of fresh tobacco, which he packed it with. Only then did he grab the present and take it with him into the sitting room. He poured himself a glass of wine and lit his pipe, taking a few good puffs. Then he placed the gift on his lap and looked at it once more. What are you, he said. Where did you come from? He set his wine glass on the table at his side and began to unwrap the paper. Nothing shot out. Nothing exploded. There was a box, a Christmas box, with pictures of Santa putting presents under a well-decorated tree. The sight of it made him smile. This was a well-played game. He had no family outside of his father, who was currently hospitalized and lying in a coma. 
He had no friends or significant others. He took women when he needed them, but he always discarded them when he was done. He did not need to keep someone long-term. He had admirers due to his wealth, but if they were going to give him a gift, they would want more than anything for him to know who it came from. It begged to know who deemed to celebrate the rich loner in the big house at the top of the hill. Donald took another sip of wine, closed his eyes, and reveled in the taste. Hints of cinnamon and pine swirling in his mouth. It was the perfect blend for the season. He set the glass back down and removed the box's lid. Inside was a book, a thick one. He removed it and set it aside for now. He looked into the box, turning it over and upside down. Other than red and green tissue paper, there was nothing else to be found. Donald's curiosity had peaked. He placed the box on the floor beside his chair and stuffed it with the wrapping paper, gently placing the lid back on. Then he puffed at his pipe and looked at the book, fingers brushing at his beard. It seemed to be a photo album. Maybe the gift was from an admirer after all. He lifted it and pulled the cover open. When he saw the first photo, he exhaled. He touched the picture gently with his fingertips. Whoever the gift giver was, they were a fan of his hobby. He remembered the girl from the photo, her loving smile, although she wasn't wearing it in the picture, and the way her eyes bulged as he strangled her. She was the first. He remembered how she tried to beg him for mercy, even when she could not speak, and how exhilarating it was for him. He smiled at the picture. He hadn't expected it to smile back. Then a hand reached out of the photo and grabbed him, as it rested on the page. Suddenly he was somewhere else. There was a woman at her kitchen table sobbing and drinking. Before her on the table was the same picture that had brought him here. That was all she had. A voice from the past said to him, Now she has nothing but grief. You did this. He was in a new place then. A man and a child were sitting by a Christmas tree. They were hanging up an ornament with the dead girl's face on it. That is a widower and a boy without a mother. Also, thanks to you. The consequences of your actions ripple out into the world like a pebble thrown into a pond, Donald. You are a cancer. Donald was back in his chair then, horrified. He threw the photo album onto the floor. What manner of sorcery was this? Was he meant to feel guilty? I don't. He said out loud to whatever spirits were listening, I take pleasure in the pain of others. Your efforts are pointless. Then picked the book back up and turned the page. Someone whispered in his ear and sent a shiver down his spine. Enjoy the suffering within. I will, he said angrily. He took a big gulp of wine and nodded. He puffed at his pipe until he felt his heart rate receding. Then he nodded again and retrieved the book from the floor. He turned the page. He knew who it was going to be, a second kill. He wished he could remember her name. Details of people didn't matter to him, though. They were things, things to be used and discarded. She was beautiful, though, wasn't she? The photo's face contorted to one of anger, and Donald recoiled. Then the slender fingers came through to grab his hand again. Doctor was visiting a girl that looked exactly like the one in the photo. It was impossible, he knew, even as he watched the doctor administer meds. She was dead. He buried her himself. Yet, here she was. She couldn't function after the death of her twin. She feels that every moment of every day, essentially, she's as dead as well. A distant voice spoke to him. You did this. I did, he said, and I'd do it again. Then he was watching a body under a sheet being wheeled out the front door of a house. He blinked and watched with curiosity as it rode by. Under there is the body of my father. He couldn't live with it, knowing he failed to protect me from you. He took his own life. Then they were inside. There was a woman sitting on the floor, staring forth from empty, hollow eyes. Your mother, I presume. 
MacDonald said. Yes, she never recovered. I'm bored, who's next? Donald said with agitation. Then he was back in his chair. Don't you know? A voice whispered in his ear. Donald poured himself a new glass of wine. His trembling fingers gave away the nerves he was pretending not to feel. His pipe was kicked. He sighed at it and put it down on the table. He sipped the wine with shaking fingers. Then he took a deep breath and turned the page. Let's get this over with, he said, all bravado. The brunette in the photo didn't wait for his nostalgia. She just reached up out of the photo and grabbed his arm, a silent scream on her lips. He cried out, giving away that he was bothered by this routine. Then he was in an alley. There were men and women alike spread all, all over. They were shivering and coughing. They were lost in the highs of drugs and drowning the last sips of a bottle of booze. These are all the homeless people I worked with before you took me from the world. The dead girl told them. I was the only one that helped them. They lost their only ally because of you. Then they were standing in a morgue. There were bodies on tables all around them. These are the ones already lost, the girl said. It got too cold. They had no blankets, nowhere to go. You killed them all. Donald lifted one of the sheets and grimaced. This one's just a child, he said. A child you killed, the ghost told him. Donald shook his head. I've never killed a child. You have. You've done so much damage by taking good out of the world. You're poison. The poison that killed all of these people, Donald. Then he was back in his chair, breathing heavily. He looked around the room. He saw no one. But he felt like he was no longer alone. The solitude he cherished was taken from him, and his peace had been tainted. He felt angry and anxious all the same. I'm done with this game, he said. Then he threw the photo album into the fire. He grabbed his wine glass as it burned and snarled, lifting it. Cheers, he said, taking a sip. A wind came from nowhere and blew the fire out. Only wisps of smoke remained. The burned photo album flipped to the fourth page. Donald screamed and threw his wine glass at the fireplace, where it shattered loudly. A blonde woman in a sheer dress started to climb from the photo into the room with him. Donald shook his head. His breath caught in his chest as she crawled across the floor towards him. Then her pale hand grabbed his ankle. He was taken to a house where a woman was screaming at a child. She was throwing things at him while he cried. Another child, he said. What is this? This is my son, the ghost said angrily. I was a single mother. He was put into the system, and now is with foster parents that abuse him because of you. Donald curled his lip. Tell me where. I'll kill this woman next. I can help. You help nothing, the voice said to him. You can only ruin. You only destroy. Then he was under a bridge. He saw a teenage boy shivering and rocking himself. He recognized him immediately. He was the boy under the sheet that the last ghost had shown him. This is my other son, she said to him. He ran away from his abusive foster parents and lived on the street until he got pneumonia. Donald was back in his chair. He cursed loudly and slammed his fist down on the end table. The wine bottle toppled off and shattered on the floor at his feet, leaking red onto his expensive oriental rug. I did not mean for him to get hurt, he shouted. How was I to know? You don't know. You don't care. The whisper came in his ear. You take without a single thought of the repercussions. Donald leapt to his feet. There are no repercussions. I'm rich. I own this town. I do what I want. Yes, you do. The page flipped again and Donald snarled. He stormed over to the book and grabbed it. As soon as he did, a hand came from the picture and grabbed his arm tightly. Then he was at a hospital. He recognized it. It was where his father was staying. They were in his wing at his room, then inside. The nurse was burning him with a cigarette. 
I was his nurse. You didn't know that, of course. You didn't bother knowing anything about the lives you destroyed, the ghost told him. I took care of him and tended to him every day. This woman replaced me. She's someone like you, someone who enjoys the pain and suffering of others. Your father can't complain or make her stop. He's tortured in his daily sleep. Donald growled at her. You think I care, he chided. He means nothing to me. All I need from him is his money, and I've got that. Let him suffer. They blinked out of the room. She walked him through the wing, then showed him all of the other people left to suffer the same fate. What about them, she asked him. Fine, I'll kill her. Let me kill her, he said. You can't hurt these people if she's dead. You won't be killing anyone else, the dead girl said to him. Then he was back in his sitting room. His legs felt like rubber. The ghost was gone, but the book was still in his hand. He sat back in his chair before he fell. He stared down at the book in his hand. The last girl was his last kill, but the book still had another page. He heard the threat in what she had said to him, but he still felt a tug. He needed to know what was on that last page. He had already tried to burn the book. The game was predetermined. This was his fate, whatever it was. His heart was thundering against his ribs. He felt most afraid he'd ever felt in his life. His shaking fingers gripped the page and turned it. The final page was blank. What is this? I don't understand. Donald said, That's your page. The voice whispered into his ear. There's nothing to show you, no one to miss you, no one to be troubled by your passing. There's no echo, no ripple. There is simply nothing. The room grew suddenly cold. Donald dropped the book into the broken glass and spilled wine at his feet. The lights flickered and dimmed as shadows passed before him. Suddenly all five women were in the room with him, crowding him and moving in ever closer. Get away from me, Donald shouted. You can't do this, you're dead. All of you are dead. I killed you. I killed you. Yes, you did, the first girl said. You killed us all, the second chimed in. They're upon him then. Now we're here to return the favor, the third girl told him. They reached out with their ghostly fingers grasping at his throat. Merry Christmas, the fourth girl said. The fifth just smiled and they grabbed a hold of him. All together they squeezed and watched as he struggled, his eyes bulging. They listened to him, tried to beg for mercy, in unintelligible words as the air was forced from his lungs. His fingers dug into the arms of the chair and his legs kicked as the air escaped him. Then the big house was quiet and still. All six of them were gone. Outside, the jingling of bells accompanied the harmonizing voices of carolers, and life went on. I hope you enjoyed The Christmas Gift by author Crystal Healy, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Healy. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash H-E-A-L-Y. If one of his tales isn't satisfactory enough, be sure to check out one of his many others across numerous anthologies. As a reminder, if you decide to give any of this talented author's stories a read, please consider leaving them a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. And be sure to let them know you heard about them on this program and that me, Otis Jiry, sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure Christo would much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts, and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. 
It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep. If you can. <laughs>
you can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.